Well, can anyone tell me what uh, book we have been in? Oh, come on. Uh, say it again. Chapter. Now let's go there this morning as we dig into the Word of God this morning. And I thank you for coming. God bless you. I pray that you are experiencing God's presence, not just here, but in your life throughout the week, because you bring the Spirit of God with you, folks. You get that? Uh, uh, I can't, the praise team, we can't work up the Spirit here this morning. You bring it with you, so um, I pray that you are experiencing His fullness this morning. Last week we began uh, looking at the fourth piece of armor that the Apostle Paul began to describe in Ephesians chapter 6, and that was the shield of faith. Uh, faith is a topic that you, you just cannot limit it to just one sermon, so I will finish up this piece of armor this morning, the shield of faith. Keep in mind that Paul here is talking to believers. He's talking to believers in Ephesians chapter 6. People who have already placed their faith in Jesus. But God knew that in order for us to make it through this life, and not just survive but thrive against Satan's attacks, our faith would have to be at the forefront of our lives. This morning, uh, the topic of faith, uh, obviously those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ by faith, we know that it is by faith that you accept Jesus. We know that every day we walk with our faith. We get that. But what I believe the Apostle Paul was trying to get at here is that we are in a battle. That's what we've been talking about for several weeks now. We are in a battle and then the battle, we talked recently about the fiery darts and the, the flaming arrows that would come. The only way that we're going to be able to get over that is if we use the shield of faith. It has to be intentional, and we want to continue down that line of thought today. Let's again read verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 6. Well, it just froze on me, Rich. Are you able to hit the bar for me? You may have to be my guy this morning. Okay. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I also want to read what it says in the NIV. Go ahead, Rich. It's going to have to be you and me today. Some of you have the NIV translation or version, and it says, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Notice the difference in between these verses. There's just a little difference in the phraseology of it. Notice this, and some of your translations may say, take up. Take up. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith. Folks, when you take something up, it means that there is an intentional act. There is an intentional movement on our part. And the same is true with our faith. This is how the Apostle Paul is describing it. Taking up the shield of faith must be an intentional action on our part. In this scenario, as what we're talking about, we're in a battle, we're in a war 
When Satan comes against us, there comes to be some kind of a crisis in our life, a crisis of faith. That's when we are to intentionally, physically, practically, or symbolically speaking, pick it up, take up the shield of faith. This takes place by doing what God tells us to do in our moment of crisis. No doubt that every time we come together, there's someone here that is having a moment of crisis. You don't have to raise your hand, but you came here this morning, you're in a moment of crisis, perhaps having a crisis of faith. And Apostle Paul And the Lord, through the inspiration of the Apostle Paul, his inspiration, is telling you today to take up your shield of faith. No matter how risky or intimidating it may be. You remember the story of when Moses was in front of Pharaoh and God told Moses to take up the serpent. Remember that story? He told him to take up the serpent. Now there was some risk in that move, was there not? (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I'm not one for, for snakes. How many of you were there Wednesday night at my neighbor's helping us uh, clean up our neighbor's yard? And How many of you were there? And I see your hand. I know there are some of you here. We had about 16 people show up. Um, I, I wasn't being very nice about this because I, I just didn't want to lose anybody, but my neighbor, who basically lives across the street, uh, Mrs. Kleinconnect, some of you may know of her. Her husband passed away about a year and a half ago. And um, we, we went Wednesday night, and I think Dave Burrell took pictures, and it was great what took place. We weeded, and we edged, and we mowed, and, and we swept, and uh, we, we did some other things, and it was great. But one of the things that um, um, Mrs. Kleinconnect told me that I didn't tell you is that she said, I have a pretty big garter snake around here somewhere. <laughs> and that's one thing that gets my attention real quick. And I thought, you know what, if I tell people here who are working and pulling the weeds, watch out for the snake, I just might lose some of you. So no one saw, saw a snake, I don't think so. But here, uh, this is the last time you go on a job with me, right? Um, here, God told Moses, take up the snake. Now, Moses just couldn't have said, okay, God, I get what you're saying, and never physically gone down to take it up. He, it took He took a chance. It was a risk for him to take it. But Moses was willing to do what God told him to do. For the end result was worth it. Taking up the shield of faith may mean humbling yourself and making a phone call. Or it may be having a much needed conversation with someone. Taking up the shield of faith may mean choosing to be cheerful and joyful instead of being depressed or gloomy. It may mean choosing to look at life with a glass-half-full perception and mentality because you believe that God is in control. Taking up the shield of faith may indeed mean changing jobs or moving away. You see, it's an action. It's taking up. Maybe you're at a moment of crisis and you know that God is requiring you to do something. That's where your faith must kick in and it must be an intentional act. Look at it this way. All that we've talked about this far, the belt of truth, the shield of uh, the breastplate of righteousness and our feet shod with the gospel of peace. 
All of those things can be like a uniform that we put on and that we wear every day. But the shield of faith and the circumstances that we're talking about here is something that we take up as the need arises. It's kind of like this. How many of you uh, were kids in the 70s? Let me see your hands like me. All right. Then you may remember this show on TV. I grew up with this show. How many of you remember that show right there, Emergency? That was one of my favorite shows growing up. Love that show, Emergency. Matter of fact, sometimes I'll, if, yeah, sometimes I'll still watch that. They have it on Netflix. It just kind of takes me back to my, my childhood days. John Gage and Roy DeSoto and um, all, all the guys there, every day they would put on their uniform. It was the same every show. They would wear their same firemen or paramedic uniforms every day, but they would only use their specific pieces of equipment only when they had to use them. I remember the big red uh, uh, truck that they rode around in. Some of you may remember that. That's the biophone that they would get out at all the emergency places. And they would pick it up and they would communicate with Rampart Emergency, the hospital back in those days. I also remember the, uh, the EKG machine that they had, the pulmonary defibrillator and all of that. They only used those when they needed them. And in a way, and in what Paul was talking about here, this is how our shield of faith is to be. The moment we first sense a flaming arrow come our way, when we are faced with a crisis of faith, that's when we must take up the shield of faith. What's ironic about this is that the enemy sends these flaming arrows, as we just talked about. He sends these flaming arrows in order to keep us from using the one thing that can extinguish the flaming arrows, and that is our faith. Now, as I kind of alluded to earlier, in order for our shield of faith to work, church, we must be committed. We must be committed. Our commitment to not just talk about faith, but put our faith in action is the key to spiritual victory. And it also keeps us from falling prey to the enemy's darts to distract us, to dissuade us, to discourage our hearts. I like this statement that I heard. Simply put, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. It's acting. Now, not just pretending. No, it's actions. It's acting like God is telling the truth. Whenever you get into God's Word and you read His promises in God's Word, and all the promises are for, for us, they are yea. And when you read those promises, you are believing that not only are they true, but put your name in those promises. They are for you, and when you believe that, I believe our actions will begin to reflect it. Priscilla Schreier, who was the female actress in War Room, her father's Dr. Tony Evans, many of you know him from the radio program and TV series, just a great man of God, and she has been a great Christian speaker and author and now actress. Uh, that was her first time acting, but she says this, Faith is not talking about or thinking about or even celebrating God's truth. It is the process of adapting your behavior, 
your decisions and ultimately your entire lifestyle so that it is in accord with what God has asked you to do without needing to see evidence that it will all work out in the end. I want to read that again because that's really good. Faith is not talking about or thinking about or even celebrating God's truths. It is the process of adapting your behavior, your decisions, and ultimately your entire lifestyle so that it is in accord with what God has asked you to do. And you do it without needing to see the evidence that everything is going to be okay in the end. We talked about it last week. I gave the illustration of the African Impala and how they're able to jump to incredible heights and incredible lengths. And like the African Impala, that which makes faith faith is when we commit ourselves to act despite the fact that we will not always be able to see where our feet will land. Without always knowing what the outcome will be, this kind of faith is what becomes a shield of protection that guards enemies, guards us against the enemy's attack. But you and I must be committed. Hmm. Like many of you, Stephanie and I have a few times uh, built some homes since we've been married. And some of you will be able to attest to this. Typically what we did during that process of when we built some homes down in Kentucky, we would sit down with the builder and we would spend a lot of time with the builder deciding on the building plan, the floor plan. Sometimes it took several days, but when it was all said and done, there was still one more thing that had to take place before we were to move forward. Before we left their office, we had to give them a check, right? You had to give them some money, um, earnest money, so to speak, or it's also called good faith promise. Isn't that interesting that they use that word faith? You see, in order for the builder... To be committed, he needed to see that we were committed. It took some form of action on our part before he was going to do his part. It was a rather scary and risky thing for us to do at that time to write that check. But listen to me. We trusted the builder. The builder had a good reputation. The builder was not known for reneging on his end of the deal. We trusted him, his reputation, but writing the check not only gave the builder what he needed, it solidified our commitment as well. Some of you in here right now might be at a crisis of faith, and you believe you know what God is telling you, but you're afraid to write the check. You're afraid to take that step of faith because you don't know where your feet are going to land. You see, taking up the shield of faith is like writing a check of trust to God. It's proof that we are going to trust Him. Yes, it will always involve a level of risk on our part because we're giving up something valuable. But it's a risk worth taking because our master builder has proven himself faithful and dependable time and time again. Has he not? 
our builder, our master craftsman, will never let us down. He is faithful from one generation to the next. We talked about it last week. Noah wrote his check when year after year after year he picked up a saw and he picked up a hammer and he went to work on the ark. Abraham wrote his check when he left his homeland to a land that was not his own. He wrote another check whenever he laid his son on the altar to sacrifice him. See, those were actions. Those were the checks. That was the act of commitment. Now, I know what some of you are thinking and perhaps what some of you are even thinking right now if you're going through this moment right now. One of the major factors that keeps us from launching out in faith that right there, is it not? It's fear. Fear. Fear is one of the enemy's most useful deterrents. It can make us want to drop our shields of faith and run. In fact, fear is one of Satan's primary schemes for crippling and paralyzing our faith. See, God knew this. That's why in some form or another, 300 times in the Word of God, uh, God tells us not to be fearful. Do not be afraid. That's why He tells us that He knows the attacks. He knows the enemy's ploys and tactics. Now, I feel like I want to say this, though, too, a little caveat on the side. I'm not advocating... How do I say this? without contradicting myself. I'm not advocating day after day after day of a complete abandonment of common sense either. The kind of reasoning God has placed in us as human beings. We must hear the voice of God clearly and accurately. If one is not careful, behavior can become foolish, imprudent, impulsive and even reckless, all in the name of faith. But true faith must always be built upon the truths and the roadmaps that are contained within the Word of God, along with the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. Now, now listen, there are some times where God will call us to do things that go against common sense. What I just talked about. That was not common sense what Noah did year after year. That was not common sense for Abraham to leave his homeland. That was not common sense for crying out loud, for Abraham to take Isaac, his son, whom he loved, whom the promise was supposed to go through, and to kill him, to lay him on the altar. There are times when God will require you and I to do things that are not typical. But when faced with these types of decisions, when faced with do we launch out into deep waters or don't we? There are some things that we can do to help with this. We can go to the Word of God. And if what uh, we feel God is impressing upon us, if, if we can find it in the Word of God, if we can find a leading, uh, if God's Word doesn't go against it, uh, sometimes God calls us to go to wise counsel, go to those people in your life that, that are godly people, uh, deep in their walk with the Lord, and, and ask them to give you their thoughts and their opinions. A lot of times we look at life circumstances the things that are happening around us, and are they lining up with what God is telling us? 
Those are some things that we can do to determine that. But in those times when we sense God is telling us to act, it's proven in His Word. We can't find anything that opposes it in His Word. Counsel perhaps lines up. Some of life's circumstances lines up. Those things that are telling us to act and we are to take up our shield of faith, but fear keeps us immobilized. Fear keeps us standing still. Just focus on God. Now, that sounds simple, doesn't it? Sounds like just a quick point that a pastor makes, but think about that for a moment. During these times, don't look to yourself and just try to manufacture more faith. Start by looking at how big your God is. Simple story of David and Goliath. Simple story of David and Goliath. We know the story. We've been taught it ever since that we were kids. We know that King Saul and the Israelites were facing Goliath and the Philistines. And day after day, I believe, Goliath would go out and he would taunt the armies of Israel and they would just cower and they were immobilized and they would not move because they were scared to death. They couldn't conjure up more faith in themselves. And here comes this little snot-nosed kid named David. <laughs> just bold enough to think that he can take this guy on. Goes up to King Saul and says, I'll take him on. And King Saul lets him. Kind of lets you know a little bit about the heart of King Saul, doesn't it? Just how weak he was. And listen to what David says whenever he approaches Goliath. Go ahead, Rich. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you, One more verse. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Notice that David did not say, I'll just convince myself that I can do it. I'll conjure up more faith in myself. Yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll just build myself up more. No, he did not build himself up more. He built up his Lord more. That's what we need to do. He built up his God more. Church, the more that we focus on him in these times of crisis in our life, the greater our faith will be. You see, Peter sank and stopped walking on the water because he stopped looking at how great his God was. He stopped looking at Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. Listen to this next statement because I believe it's very true. The more faithful and strong that you believe God to be, the more willing you will be to depend on Him because your level of faith will always be tied to your perception of God. Your level of faith, my level of faith, 
will always be tied to your perception of God. If your perception of God is tiny, then your faith will be tiny. If your perception of God is huge, then your faith will be huge. And while we're talking about this, let me remind you, don't listen to your feelings. Feelings will betray us every time. Amen? They will betray us every time. doesn't matter how we feel. As a matter of fact, when we act out of faith and obedience, despite of how we feel, that's when we will be living in real faith. I said last week that oftentimes our faith is not put to the test. It's not really exercised until there is a crisis of our faith. Back in week three of this series, I told you about a man named Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton, back in the 40s, just to review quickly here, he was a great orator, a great speaker, great evangelist. He would travel all over the country, I believe the world, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then I told you how he traded his belt of truth for a belt of lies. And this was in the 40s after World War II or during World War II and he saw all the atrocities that took place and he allowed his mind to go to a very dangerous place. He began asking questions that are very difficult for us as humans to answer. Where is, there, where is God in times of suffering? Why does God allow some horrible things to happen to good people? And, and uh, um, he kept thinking about these things. He kept dwelling on these things to the point that he ended up, he was, I believe, pastoring a church up in Canada. Now, what would you think if next Sunday morning I got up here in, behind the pulpit and I said, I just want to let you know that I'm resigning as your senior pastor? Because I no longer believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe it's all farce. I believe that what I've been living my life for is just one big lie. And so I'm going to resign. I'm going to stop all my speaking engagements. And I'm leaving the faith altogether. Matter of fact, I'm going to encourage some of you to follow me. God doesn't exist. Farewell to God. What would you think of me if I did that? That's exactly what he did back in the 1940s. Stepped into his church and he gave a speech like that and he walked out of the church forever. But his story doesn't end there. Some of you may know his story, I don't know. Back whenever he was speaking, back whenever he was traveling and evangelizing and speaking, he was wanting to, he was speaking to obviously mainly adults, but he was wanting to focus on the youth, the teenagers of the country. And so he was looking for someone that was a a dynamic, energetic um, speaker, personality, individual, and he found uh, someone that was this individual right here. He found Billy Graham. He brought Billy Graham on to 
his team and actually Billy Graham began to travel with Charles Templeton all over the country and the two of them worked together. They became best friends and actually what Billy Graham did was the beginning of Youth for Christ back in those days. But when Charles had this crisis of faith, he began to challenge Billy as well. And the questions that were um, tormenting Charles, Charles began to torment Billy as well. And Billy eventually began to question his own faith. Billy's crisis of faith came to a head in 1949. Billy was asked to speak at a seminar in California. I believe it was around Hollywood, California, up in the, the area of the San Bernardino Mountains. And he was there with a number of other speakers. And they were speaking to a number of college students. In this, And then they had like a reception before the week-long seminar began. And they had all the speakers and some dignitaries there and... In through the door burst Charles Templeton. Now, Charles Templeton knew a lot of these people because he used to be in their line of work. And, and uh, uh, Charles Templeton went around the room and he was introducing people very bombastic, very uh, charismatic, very arrogant, very kind of a rude type personality was Charles Templeton. And he knew that Billy was in the room, but he purposely ignored him. And Billy said, I'm not going to let this happen. So he went up to uh, Charles Templeton and he, he said, hey, it's nice to see you. And Charles Templeton began to sarcastically challenge Billy once again. In front of the whole crowd, he embarrassed him. He was saying things that were rude, that were arrogant. He was embarrassing Billy Graham in front of everybody. Saying things like that old time religion that you are preaching, Billy, it's not good enough for me and it's not good enough for you either. And Charles finally said, I feel sorry for you, Billy. What you call faith is truly the death of intellect, your intellect. And Charles Templeton turned around and he left the room. Keep in mind, this is a young Billy Graham, not the Billy Graham that we all know today. Reeling from the entire episode, along with wrestling with his own doubts, Billy fought through that entire week. One night, he eventually called home to his mom and dad. And he got a hold of his mom and he, he said, Mama, this is Billy Graham speaking. He said, Mama, I no longer know who I am. Everywhere I turn, I'm alone. I'm alone with my doubts and my questions. He called his wife Ruth. Same, shared the same things with Ruth. And he said, Ruth, I just needed to hear your voice. To which she said to him very wisely, she said, I'm glad you wanted to hear my voice, but it's not my voice that you need to hear tonight. Billy knew that his wife was right. If he was going to preach this good news, he knew he had to settle the doubts once and for all. I have a book, Billy tells his life story. I want to read the conclusion of that. It's a little lengthy, but it's my last illustration, so be patient with me this morning. That's the backdrop that I just gave you. 
Let me read this. As Billy grappled with these issues, he decided to take a walk. It was a clear, cool night in the San Bernardino Mountains, with the moon peeking over the mountaintop. Billy wandered along the forest trail, alone with his thoughts, desperate for God, hoping to sense his presence in the natural setting around him. He came upon a large tree stump. He trudged over to it, placed his Bible on the stump, letting the pages fall open as he dropped to his knees in front of it and began to pray. He prayed fervently and passionately, speaking aloud to God, sometimes with his eyes wide open, sometimes with his eyes tightly closed, beads of perspiration forming on his forehead, losing all track of time, calling out to God as though he were imploring a close friend with whom he desperately needed help. Had Billy been able to see beyond the thin veil that separates this world from the spirit world, which is what Paul just said in Ephesians, he would no doubt have been surprised and possibly terrified at the spiritual battle being waged in the heavenlies all around him. Lucifer, the personal enemy of Billy's soul, was bidding high for him that night, commanding his minions to do everything within their power to divert Billy Graham from the destiny God had planned for him. Lucifer knew that it all came down to the question of faith. If he could diminish or extinguish the flame of faith, he would carry the day in the battle for the ultimate prize, Billy's soul. Billy had admitted during his phone call to Ruth that he was on the verge of giving up and going back to working the farm in North Carolina. There in the woods, Billy's heart pounded in his chest. His face glistened with perspiration mixed with tears as he persevered in prayer, refusing to let go of God until he had received an answer. Billy reeled under the intense oppression that attempted to infect and overpower him through the piercing blow to his faith. Kneeling at the tree stump, clenching the sides, clenching the sides so tenaciously that his fingernails dug into the tree bark. He seemed to be hanging on only by the tiniest thread of hope as Templeton's words taunted him incessantly. Charles put me to the test, Lord, and I had nothing. Billy picked up the Bible and raised it toward the sky and said, Oh God, there are many things in this book that I don't understand. There are questions in this book that I just cannot answer. There are some areas I don't even know that they correlate with modern day science. So give me something, God. Anything. Where are you? He railed at God. And Billy slapped down his Bible on the top of the tree stump. Suddenly a collage of images streaked through Billy's mind. He saw his mother and heard her loving voice reminding him, Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. He heard his loving wife Ruth say, God will speak to you again, Billy. And finally, Billy said, I understand, Lord. You said in your word that the just shall live by faith. Billy looked skyward. I see it, Lord. I accept it. I believe it by faith. 
Billy breathed heavily as his doubts seemed to be lifted off his shoulders. Although he could not see it happening, the demonic forces assailing him began to splinter and recede before the angelic host around Billy. Just a little bit more and then I'm done. Billy picked up his Bible again, gazing at it in wonder, and he said, I'm going to accept this book by faith. I accept this book as your infallible word by faith. It's beyond reason because the Bible says, take this by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And Billy bowed his head and said, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Whatever happened on that mountain, other people were quick to notice. He was still in the middle of this seminar. Mandy, come on up. I'm going to have her close in a song here. And Joyce, you can come up as well. Let me finish this and then I'm done. What happened on that mountain, other people were quick to notice. Those that were there that weekend said that they did not know what had happened, but there, there, there was an authority, there was a sureness, there was a fire in his spirit that had not been there when he first arrived. Indeed, Billy spoke with a new confidence as he boldly proclaimed the gospel. At his very next seminar session the following day, Billy's words to the college students conveyed an unusually strong passion. When he challenged the audience to dedicate their lives to Christ, more than 400 people responded. Nothing in Billy's life or ministry would ever be the same again. You see, folks, if you're not having a crisis of faith right now, you will. There will come a time in your life, if you haven't already had one or if you're not going through it now, there will be a time in your life to where there will be a crisis of faith. And the only thing that will bring you through is when you take up the shield of faith. Amen. Take it up. Let's pray. God, No wonder you inspired Paul to say, above all else, if you don't get anything else that I'm saying, get this. Take up the shield of faith. When everything around you says don't, I'm telling you do. God, maybe there's someone here this morning that's having a crisis of faith. The only thing that's going to pull them through is if by faith they do what you want them to do. Without knowing where their feet are going to land, they're going to jump. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that they would say that's me, I pray that they would find release today. They would find freedom they would take up the shield of faith and they would allow you to once again be Lord of all. Thank you, God, for your word. Not Brock's words. Your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.